chapter 14. How's everybody doing? Good? Good. Anybody enjoy the outside yesterday on just a beautiful day? I sure did. Loved hanging out with the boys, just playing in the park. Hey, my name is Jonathan. I serve as one of the pastors here. If you're a guest, so glad you are here. Um, I'm so glad that you've chosen to worship with us despite the rain. Thank you for coming through the rain, the wet, and just coming and hanging out and worshiping with us. We pray that you feel welcome. We pray that you feel encouraged. And we pray that you encounter, above all, Jesus uh, this afternoon as you worship with us. Luke chapter 14, we're continuing a series. We're just looking at some stories throughout the Gospel of Luke of where Jesus has a meal with other people. And we're talking about, one, just the truths from the text, but also this overall challenge of just the practical way to engage our city with the love of Jesus one relationship at a time a way to engage in relationships by having meals with people. That when you sit down, kneecap to kneecap, um, there's relationships that grow, good conversations happen, and it's just a picture of hospitality that Christ demonstrates with His life. So it's a great, just practical way to love. And so we're looking at the stories and then being challenged by that ongoing theme of what does it mean to have meals. And so we call in this series, Dinner Parties. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 14, if you don't have a Bible... Just grab one from the seat back in front of you. If you want to grab one of the black ESV Bibles, we're on page 874. And we're going to begin reading in verse 12 of Luke chapter 14. He said also to the man who had invited him. Now, pause. Jesus is at a dinner with Pharisees. And so the man who had invited him says this in verse 12. When you give a dinner, or excuse me, Jesus says this to him. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of, of the just." Let's pause there for a second. Uh, we're going to walk all the way through pretty much uh, verse 24, but let me just pause and we've got we to gotta unpack some things. Now, just so you know, um, when I prepare to preach, or when anybody prepares to preach, as we're studying throughout the week, um, there is so much, one of, the, one of the most difficult things about preaching is deciding what you're not going to say. Some of you may think getting up public speaking, you're trying to figure out what to say. That's not my problem. I can talk for hours. My problem is figuring out what not to say. And to be honest, I, I would, I, I've heard other pastors say this, and I would agree with this, that I end up only saying about 10% of what I read and I study. So there's so much set aside. I say that to say, this is a big passage of Scripture, and there's a lot that can be unpacked. And so there's, I'm gonna, with that, I'm going to try to cover as much as I can, but on one idea and theme throughout there's a lot that's not going to get said. And so you may have a question, and I just kind of skip over that question. You go, hey, I feel like that's an important question to answer. Come ask me afterwards and give me grace and understand. I just don't have time to answer everything. But let's talk through this. We're reading this, and Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he already, or excuse me, he's talking to the Pharisees, and already in chapter 14, just prior to this, he tells them and encourages them, that when they come to a banquet or a dinner party, to not take the place of honor, um, a seat of honor. Uh, have you ever been to someone's house, or maybe you're like this, 
um, where there are kind of assigned seats of the family. Like the dad always sits here, maybe the mom always sits here, and the kids always sits here. We don't have that. But I, I've been there before, and so anytime I'm at someone's house, I just kind of go, hey, is there anywhere I'm not supposed to sit? Like, don't sit here because this is, this is like, seriously, like this is kind of the head of the house. It's a, it's a seat of honor. And so it, I'm respectful. So we even see in our culture how there can be seats of honor. But there's definitely... In this culture, in Jesus' time, a place of honor. And if you sit there, it's clear that you're like the guest of honor. You ever been to a wedding and the bride and groom have like their own seat, like 20 feet up in the sky because it's up on this big platform? And what? It's, it's, a, it's the place of honor, right? And so when Jesus is already challenging them to, have, to not take the place of honor, but to be humble. And so here he gets into another idea of humility, but in a different way. And he says this, when you give, verse 12, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and be repaid. Now, you read this immediately, you might be asking what I asked when I first read this, going, hey, have I been doing Thanksgiving wrong? Like, have I been sinning at Thanksgiving? Because I've been eating with my family at Thanksgiving. Like, what about Christmas? What about Easter? What about all these other things? If I read this and I take these words literally, which I'm not saying we shouldn't, but I read this, I'm immediately going, is Jesus telling me I shouldn't associate with family and friends? And, and let me tell you this, this is, Jesus is given a comparative statement here, meaning this. He's, I don't believe that Jesus is saying that we literally should not hang out with friends and family. I, I don't believe that. But he says, he gives his reasoning, which is the point of emphasis. He says, don't eat with these people to emphasize what he says next, which is what? Lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Here's what Jesus is saying. Is do not just eat and associate with people for the sake of personal gain. See what he's saying? That, if, that when we are having meals and we're having dinner parties and we're building relationships with people, our focus should not be on just meeting and knowing people for the sake of personal gain. Because what? That, that's selfish. That's going, hey, I'm only using you in relationship because of what I get out of it. And this is often what we see in the world today. Networking isn't bad, but if we're not careful, we can turn business networking in just intentionally trying to use people for what we can profit from them and missing the person in the process. And so Jesus has given this challenge not to do that. But instead, verse 13, when you give a feast or a dinner party, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, Jesus is saying in contrast, or instead of doing that, you are to engage people relationally for the sake of service, for the sake of love, and for the sake of mission, not just because of personal benefit. We can look at the gospel of Jesus Christ and we can see this is precisely what Jesus has done for us. All of us who are believers, we understand that we have nothing to offer Jesus. That we, Jesus is not friends with us because we, he benefits because we can give him something. Now, I do think Jesus benefits from our worship in the sense that he enjoys it, but he doesn't need it. He has everything. Jesus isn't in relationship. He doesn't pursue us because he needs us, nor because uh, he is using us for personal gain. Uh, the truth of the gospel is, is that although we have nothing to offer him, in this scenario, spiritually speaking, metaphorically speaking, we are the poor. 
We are the crippled. We are the lame. We are the blind. All of humanity, because we have nothing to offer, that we are the spiritually blind. We are the spiritually poor. We are the spiritually crippled. And this is precisely what Christ has done for us. He has pursued us and has invited us into a relationship with Him, into a dinner party with Him, which we'll talk about more in a second, for the sake of showing and expressing His love to us. This is the beauty of Jesus' love. When we say we want to engage our city with the love of Jesus, here's, here's a picture of the love of Jesus, that he loves us not because he benefits, because we have, give him something in return. He loves us unconditionally. He just loves us despite us. This is the best type of love. You know this to be true, because imagine you have a friendship, and you have this thought, is this person only my friend because of my connections with so-and-so? Is, is this person my friend um, just because uh, I have something to offer them? Is this person my friend for whatever reasons? And if you put a condition on it, it belittles the value of the friendship, right? But the true friend and the, the value of having a friend who knows they're my friend just because they love me and they want a relationship. So we understand this principle cleared and uh, played out. So Jesus talks though, Jesus says the beauty of this uh, banquet that is to, that banquet that is coming. And one of someone at verse 15, someone who was sitting at the table, one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things. He said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. If you have a, a handout, if you got one today when you came in, truth number one is this. We see the kingdom banquet. We see the kingdom banquet. I use the word banquet because it's what's used in the passage, uh, that idea, but it's really a dinner party, right? This this kingdom dinner party that is coming. Uh, There's two things I want you to notice about the kingdom banquet. First is that this is a literal future meal. It's a literal future banquet. We're not talking metaphorical here. This is a literal Thing. He says, blessed is everyone who, who will, future, emphasis on future and emphasis on literal, okay? This is a future meal that we will eat. If you have your Bibles you want to flip with me, just keep your finger on Luke 14, but want to go to Revelation chapter, uh, Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, which is on page 1039 in the Black ESV Bible. Revelation 19, beginning of verse 6. When I had heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Alleluia, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen and the righteous deeds of the saints. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself available. The picture here in the language is of this promise that Christ is going to come back for His bride, and then there's going to be what uh, Scripture calls the marriage supper of the Lamb. Been to a wedding, go to a wedding, the normal tradition, not even just in our culture, but in general, is you have a ceremony and then you have a party. You have a ceremony and then you have food. You have a ceremony and then you have a feast. 
And it's this celebration of what it is. And Re- Revelation 19 gives this communication and this picture of this marriage and this feast that's going to take place. And so this is pictured Old Testament and New Testament, which is why the religious leader, when hearing Jesus reference this blessing dinner party, he goes, yeah, praise God for everybody who's going to eat of the bread in the kingdom of God. Praise for everyone who's going to have this food in the kingdom of God. It is a literal future meal. Why is this important for us? Because as believers in this room, in a couple of weeks, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together as we do the second Sunday of every month. And the Lord's Supper is, yes, a reminder looking back of what Christ has done for us on the cross. But it's also the fact that it's a supper is a promise of the future meal that is to come. Of this promise when Christ calls us home and we have this literal meal with Him. I want you to even see the picture when you think about the Lord's Supper, and it was actually, we call it the Lord's Supper, but it was actually the Passover meal of the Jewish people from, um, uh, from over a thousand years before when Israel was leaving Egypt, this Passover and this meal that was instituted for them to have every year. I want us to see the picture that, yes, in the moment, the Passover meal represented that event, but it also was a picture pointing to Christ and what would become His death on the cross. I want us to see that Christ, or or God specifically, before Christ ever came, He instituted this meal because a meal has flavor. A meal brings back memories. You can feel it. You can taste it. You can touch it. You can smell it. Like there's all these senses that come involved when we eat. And so Jesus had had His creation, the Jewish people, eating this meal because one day it was going to be a picture of who He is. In the same way, The Lord's Supper is a picture to this feast that one day we will literally eat in the future. But I want us to get something. Jesus goes on to say something to correct and point out something about the statement that the man said. The man's statement about the future meal is a true statement, but it's not the complete truth. He goes on to say this in verse 16. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Pause. I want you to notice the language. The language is past tense and present tense. The man's statement was this is a future event, and Jesus comes in immediately start talking that this event has already begun and is happening now. The kingdom banquet is a futural, future, literal meal, but it's also a present spiritual meal. I want you to get that. The kingdom banquet is a future, literal meal, but it's also a present spiritual meal. I want us to see the language in this picture of this banquet described as the person of Jesus and the invitation that he invites us into. Look at, let me read it again. A man once gave a great banquet, verse 16, and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. I personally believe, especially in the speaking of this, this is a picture of the Father, God the Father, preparing a banquet, and Jesus the servant going out. Why why would I say that? He says this, the servant went and said to those who were invited, which in this context, would have been a picture of the Jewish people. 
Jewish people who had God's law. They were already invited into covenant relationship with God. Those who had been invited, and he said, come for everything is now ready. Come for everything is ready. It is here right this moment. This reminds me of Jesus when he began his ministry. Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, record these words. When Jesus started his ministry, it says, for, for Jesus started preaching, started his ministry and preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Or repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent for the kingdom of God is coming or has come. It's present. It's not a future only. It's a present reality. And so Jesus is a picture of that servant who has come and said, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to them, said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said in verse uh, 20, another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. I want us to know, draw our attention that Jesus went to those who he had originally invited and he says, hey, party's ready, why don't you come on? And it doesn't really matter their excuses. Their excuses, I think, are important. But for time's sake, I want us to point out that all of their excuses are worldly excuses. Let's not miss this. The fact that you're in here today, Lord willing, that as the gospel and God's word is faithfully preached, you are hearing an invitation to come into the banquet of the kingdom of God that is present spiritual reality right now. But you're going to be tempted in your heart and the enemy's going to tempt you and the enemy's going to try to distract you even right now in this moment to focus on something worldly and miss the great invitation that's right in front of you. Have you ever had the moment where um, you have your phone in your hand or your keys in your hand, but you spend like five, ten minutes walking around our house trying to find it, right? You ever had that moment? If not, consider your life blessed. I do it all the time, right? I'll have my phone in my hand. Jenna, have you seen my phone, right? And it's right here in my hands. It happens way too often. It's sad. But what's the point is we're so familiar with something and it's so close to us that we miss it. We've talked about this before. Last summer, I gave an illustration called the paradox of proximity. Paul, do I need to do something? I need to do something. All right. Um, ignore Andy. He's going to work to make this happen. Ignore the sound and let's just keep going. Cool? I'm not bothered by it if you're not bothered by it. All right? Technology. Why doesn't it always do what it's supposed to do? I don't really, I don't really know, but that's okay. It's okay. We're good with it. Paradox of proximity. The closer you are to something, the harder it is to see it. We, we know this to be true. There, it, we, other way, and other ways of saying it is we all have blind spots in our lives. Blind spots are blind spots to us because we're blind to them. We can't see them, right? And so blind spots are the paradox of proximity, something so close that we miss it. Or we're focused on other things that we miss the better thing in front of us. We talked about this last week. This is precisely what is happening with those that are invited, that they're focused on worldly things, that the invitation, the reality of the kingdom is right in front of them, but they miss it. Jesus is saying, you're talking about this future banquet and this future kingdom, but what I'm telling you is that it has come, it is ready, and you're missing the invitation. That's what he's saying to the Pharisee leaders just sitting right in front of them. 
although you and I may not be Pharisees in the room, literal Pharisees, could I challenge you that, that you and I may also be missing an invitation to come into the kingdom of God that's right in front of us. Right? But what happens? Verse 20, and another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. The master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there is still room for more. See that language of the poor, the crippled, and the blind, and the lame? Jesus already said that up in a few verses before on who should be invited to the great feast. Throughout this passage, we're balancing a literal interpretation versus an allegorical interpretation, and both are true. So, yes, I do believe there is absolutely the church should take all of this literally in the sense that we should be the best at loving those who have nothing to offer us in return. And that is often the poor and those that we see as more helpless and those that we might think, you know, uh, that are often not loved on as well and cared for as well. The church should be best at that. But I want, us to, I want to point out something. In the line of Jesus' reasoning, the Jews are represented as those who had been invited and missed it. And the Gentiles are represented as the poor, the blind, the lame, and the crippled. That's you and I. I want us to see the, the allegorical point, the metaphorical point that Jesus is making is that according to what, especially in this time, the Jews, as they look around, they, rightfully so, were, had the covenant of God of the Old Testament. They had, Jesus came directly to them, but they didn't see the missional impact of what that meant for the world around them. They missed Jesus right in front of them. And so the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying, if because you are missing it, I am taking it to others around. And the greater even truth, let's get past even the ethnic emphasis here, is that you get past that to just the point and the reality is, is that it's not until we recognize our spiritual blindness, our spiritual depravity, do we recognize and concede the invitation that God's giving and placing on our lives. I was preaching this this morning at First Baptist, and a girl came up to me afterwards, and she's, she's kind of new uh, to the Christian idea, and she said, I'm confused about something. I said, okay. She says, people here have told me that to come into heaven, that I've got to put my faith and trust in Jesus and depend on him to come into heaven. But what you're telling me is that it's actually those who are spiritually blind that come into heaven. So you're telling me that I actually it's better for me not to know about Jesus and be spiritually blind to come into heaven. I said, no, 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 you're completely missing it. It's not my point. The point is that it's not until we recognize that the, things, the first group turned to the things of the world as more important than the kingdom of God, but the blind don't have the things of the world. The poor don't have the things of the world. And we're being somewhat metaphorical here, so don't, don't think literally. I have a blind friend, and he has more riches than me, so I'm real confused about this illustration. Not my point. The point, though, is that in this culture, they couldn't work. They were seen as less than. Blindness was often seen as God's judgment, and so they were unclean. Leave me alone. And so these things in your life, you were considered an outcast. You were considered a nobody. You had nothing to offer. And what Jesus is saying, it is not until we come to that spiritual position and recognize that we are spiritually blind outside of Christ, that we are spiritually poor outside of Christ. It's not until then do we recognize that 
do we then see the beauty of his invitation to come into his kingdom and into the banquet? I'm not saying that we should stay in spiritual blindness because actually that's the opposite. Jesus' miracles are proving not just physically but also spiritually that he has come to give sight to the blind, both physically and spiritually, that we are spiritually blind outside of relationship with Jesus Christ, but he in his grace, he heals us of our spiritual blindness, allows us to see him for who he is and our sin for what we, it really is, and we fall down in worship and in faith And that's actually us accepting the invitation into this banquet. This literal future banquet, but also a present spiritual reality. I want us to see and get this picture. That Christ, yes, is inviting us, you and I, right now into this banquet. But if we are more focused on the things of this world, we'll miss the invitation. This gives us hope for a few reasons. One, the literal future banquet is this idea that gives us hope that we can face whatever is going on, that one day there's this promise that Christ is going to call us home. But also the second beautiful promise is, but we don't have to wait till tomorrow to commune with Christ. Does that make sense? I want us to see this. We don't have to wait till tomorrow to commune with Christ. I just looked at the clock, and I'm only halfway through, and we're supposed to be done. So let's. So I've got to move along. Truth number two is we. Truth number one: kingdom banquet. Truth number two: kingdom invitation. I've already been talking about it, so kind of fill in the blank. Kingdom invitation. Kingdom invitation. Likewise, to the banquet is a literal future invitation to a literal meal that Christ is inviting us in, but also. He is right now, the kingdom of God is at hand, and he is inviting us right now into a present spiritual uh, banquet with him. We eat the Lord's Supper because Christ tells us to, but once again, it is a picture of a feast that is coming, but it's also an invitation to a feast with him today. Now, one day I'm going to see him face to face and literally eat with him. Scripture tells us that. But right now, I can't see Christ face to face. But I, when I eat, and when I pray, and when I worship, and when I get in my word, I'm, I'm feasting in relationship with him. It's an invitation to us now. Let me continue reading, and then I'll, I'll bring a close and kind of wrap it up if you're confused a little bit. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded, verse 22, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited will shall taste uh, my banquet. The challenge for us is not to miss the invitation that God is inviting us into. Right now, I believe, I told you that I believe that the pictures of the characters was the host is God the Father and the servant is Jesus Christ. But... Now, 2,000 years later, the characters change just a tad bit. What I mean by that is Christ is no longer the one, in in one sense, who's here on earth, who is out inviting people in. But instead, he has ascended to the Father. But now it's the Holy Spirit from Acts chapter 2, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit living in us, who is serving as the one inviting people in. And so not only are you and I invited into the kingdom of God personally, but also we have been commissioned to go out and invite others in. 
the servant, the Holy Spirit living in us, is now the one who is going out to the highways and the hedges and compel all to come into the house of the Lord. The challenge for us is, one, to not miss the invitation ourselves, but then, two, to recognize that the ones who have been invited are now the invitees that we're going out, that is our job as the mission to go and make disciples of all nations. It is partly and greatly our mission of the church filled with the Holy Spirit to go and invite others to come in. And so I stand here fulfilling what I believe the text is challenging me to do right now as a pastor preaching the gospel to invite you to come into the house of God. Well, I'm already here. I'm like, I'm here. I'm literally in the house of God. You got to understand something. New Testament, the house of God is not a building. It's a people. It's a future literal building, yes, in, in the kingdom of God. But when we say the house of God, what we mean is communion of the saints and ultimately communion with Christ. I am inviting you. Better yet, Christ is inviting you into that. And then as believers, the challenge is for you to invite others. Let me bring this circ- full circle all the way back to this idea of dinner parties and this theme. Jesus, I want us to point out, Jesus is having kingdom conversations over a meal And at this meal specifically, he's talking about a meal, a future meal. He's using the meal to give a picture of the coming kingdom and the present reality of that kingdom. Likewise, when you and I have a meal, we're tangibly expressing the kingdom of God to people. Let us not miss the importance of simply inviting someone over for a meal. Let us not miss the importance when we sit down, kneecap to kneecap with people and have a meal. Yes, it's, it's fun and we're eating and all those things, but I want us to see that Jesus at a meal used the meal to talk about this great feast that is coming with him one day and invited those in the room to it. Likewise, it is over a meal that it's oftentimes we can express the kingdom tangibly, but then also can use that as an invitation into a picture of the future kingdom. Does that make sense? So when I, the challenge, the overlying theme of this series is to encourage us how to engage our city with the love of Jesus one relationship at a time and answering that question practically by having meals with people. To letting people know they're valuable and important enough that you would prepare a meal, that you would clean your house, that you invite them over, that you would sit down and give your time to them. Because in New York City, time is way more valuable than money a lot of times. Money's important too because things are expensive, but our time is valuable And when we sit down and give our time to people over a meal, what you're saying is you're important, you're valuable. And what you're doing is you're tangibly expressing what Christ would say about them for eternity. You're valuable, you're important, and I gave my life for you. We can express God's love to invite people into this kingdom. Let me close. I want to invite uh, Charles to just come back up and lead us in a time of worship. And if there's any confusion at all, just remember these two things. Two things. First, is Christ is inviting you into a meal with him. To get that. I'm using that as a literal meal, but also kind of metaphorically to, to talk about relationship with him. That he gave his life for you, that he is the great host, and he is inviting you into relationship with him. Catch that. Jesus, this is the, the parable and the story is communicating that truth. An invitation has gone out to come into God's house, spiritual house. But then second, church family, let us just see practically the value of a literal meal with someone else. And never underestimate the power of just loving someone through a meal and expressing the gospel to them and the impact that will have for one day for them to accept 
the greater invitation to come into a meal with Jesus Christ. Let us not miss those two truths. And so if you're in here today, and the truth one applies to you first, that Christ has given you an invitation to come into his kingdom, and you've never surrendered your life to him. But you've, like the people in the story, you are pursuing all the things of this world and we're missing the invitation, but now you see it and you get it and you see the importance of it. Today, would you just accept the invitation? Would you come in and surrender your life to Jesus? And if you've got questions about that and you want to know more about that, just come find me after service. I would, nothing would give me more joy than to just share and talk to you about that. But then second, for believers in the room, for new hopers in the room, let us be people who are... Uh, exude hospitality who show hospitality to others and love on people slow down life and invite people in because that's exactly what Christ has done for us let's pray Jesus we thank you for your goodness and your mercy Jesus we thank you that you have invited us into this great banquet this great meal we're grateful that you have done that for us So, Father, right now, if there's anybody in this room that has not accepted that invitation, so to speak, that have not accepted the invite to come into this wedding feast with you, relationship with you, that today they would surrender their life to you, that they would see that their heart will never be satisfied till it is found in you, that the things of this world can never satisfy our hearts, but only you can. So, Father, would you help us see that we are desperate, just like spiritually just like the blind person and the lame person they're they're helpless in many ways especially in that context let us see that today we are helpless and hopeless apart from you and that we need you but praise be to god you've made yourself available to us through your death on the cross so we thank you for that and so father i pray that those would surrender their life to you today and then father i pray for the rest of us would we Be compelled by your love to show hospitality and love to other people for the sake of just loving on them, not for anything in return, just to love on them. And then, Lord willing, through that process, people would enter into the kingdom of God because they respond to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray over those in the room that maybe have nothing to do with this message, but just need just need some encouragement of your spirit today. Maybe they're hurting and broken and they just need love. Today, would they feel the love of the people in this room, but better yet, would they feel the love of your spirit, feel the love of you today? Would you encourage your people today? I'm going to invite you at this time. Would you just stand with us? We're just going to spend some time in worshiping him. I just want to encourage you. Would you just respond in worship and adoration to the invitation that Christ has given you?